Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hey guys, welcome back to We Met at Acme. I hope everyone had a nice and short February. And hopefully March will be very warm and lots of vitamin D for us in the in the air, you know, in the in the sky. I decided to start this month off with a full solo episode. We have so many exciting episodes coming for the rest of the month. But this was a topic that I just really wanted to get into. And so we're just going to get right into it. Let's go. I've been wanting to talk about this subject for a long time and I kind of forgot that I wanted to. So now I'm back talking about it because I feel like as this podcast grows, we're all getting older and we're in different stages of our lives. And as much as I want to talk about the early dating stages, I also want to give space for you moving in together, you getting married, you starting a family, all the things, because that's all part of relationships. And one of the things that I realized I haven't really spoken about, but it's such a thing, is how sex changes in different stages of your relationship. And as you get more serious and blah, blah, blah. And recently I was on a podcast and they asked me, they were like, you know, did sex change when you got married? And I was like, yeah, I mean, you definitely have sex less when you're married. Like that's a fact that no one can really deny, but it's not because of marriage where it begins is when you move in together. That's when sex changes for the first time. Cause sometimes you hear people being like, well, what changed when you got married? And some people are like, nothing, just a ring. Like nothing changes till you have kids. And I feel the same way about living with a partner. I don't think sex changes until you move in together. And then when it does, it does. It changes a little bit. When you first move in together, you're like, oh my God, we get to have sex all the time. I can't keep my hands off of you. And then once you live together for a while and they're not only your partner, but they're your roommate, your, you know, co-pilot of housework and all the things, your sex may decrease. And I actually think that marriage gets a bad rep for this exact reason when it has nothing to do with marriage. It's about the fact that you live together, not the fact that you are married. And this isn't me saying you shouldn't live with your husband or wife. I absolutely think it's so important to live together and to figure out this dance of sex and living together and whatever. I think when you move in together, a few things change, not change, but happen, right? You immediately have more of a sense of security in the relationship, which is so hot sometimes, right? And other times it's so not hot because security is kind of like the opposite of sexuality in a way, right? It's kind of like something that it's almost like parental. And I hate to like make that comparison because obviously your partner's not your parent and ew, that's disgusting. Right. But it's like familial. Like it's like family almost is like how you associate security. If you came from like a secure, non-toxic family. And when you move in with a partner, you solidify the relationship in a way you get the security. And ultimately that security tends to make that relationship a little less sexy for whatever reason. And this is why like I always talk about like 10% insecurity, 90% security, because if you don't have that insecurity, 
you don't want to fuck them. You know, like, would you want to fuck someone who is just like always around and never going anywhere? No. So I think that definitely contributes to less sex once you move in together. So I'm first going to kind of focus on why we have sex less when we move in together. And then I kind of want to talk about the marriage thing. Scheduling issues. Okay. When you don't live together and you make a plan to see your significant other or like the person you're dating, you are basically making time to see one another that is dedicated to like romance and like uninterrupted and you know, whatever. And in that time, you usually have sex, right? Because you don't live together. So if you're meeting up, it's not just physical. Of course, it's emotional as well, but you're meeting up to be physically and emotionally with this person. You're going out on a date, going back to their place or your place. You're having sex. You go home or maybe you stay there for the night, whatever. And so it is scheduled kind of, right? Like it's not scheduled like here's a calendar invite. We're fucking tonight, but it's kind of scheduled. When you move in with a partner, ironically, because you might be listening to this thinking like it's actually the opposite. I schedule it when I move in with him or her. But no, when you move in with a partner, everything's like not scheduled, right? In terms of like your time, your personal, not personal time, but quality time spent together, it's not scheduled at all, actually. And so there's a very blurred line of like, are we going to spend this quality time together tonight, aka have sex? Or are we just kind of chilling, watching our show and then like going to bed, you know, like you're not sex is not top of mind in the same way that it would be if you were meeting up and there's this like novelty of like, we're spending this night together. I'm going to meet Joey and we're going to probably like have sex tonight. So I'm going to like prepare and he's going to prepare, you know, like you're just at home. You're at your place of residence. You're not you're not trying to, your your mind's not in the place of like, let's fuck, you know? And then another thing is like, you don't have to work at it the same way that you did when you didn't live together. When you don't live with someone, you kind of got to go out of your way to have sex with them. And there's something hot about it, right? It's like, especially for guys, I feel like pursuing women It's like a reward, you know, and of course it is for women too, if it's good sex at least. But when you walk into an apartment or a house and they're just there already and you can have sex with them whenever you want, it should be like, oh my God, I got to hop on that. But in reality, it's like, okay, cool. You know, it's like when you work at McDonald's And someone's like, oh my God, I can't believe you work at McDonald's. You must eat McDonald's every... I'm so jealous. You get to eat McDonald's all the time. And you're like, I actually don't want to touch McDonald's. It's fucking nasty because I see the way it's made. You know, it's like because I see them shitting and I see her in her pimple cream and I see him farting and I see him being lazy on the couch. I see him being sick and sniffling. You know, it's like the same thing. You know too... It's like you know too much. and there's no mystery. You're seeing this person in their habitat, in their natural habitat. And I think this is funny enough. Like, I feel like this is why, like I once heard that Gwyneth Paltrow never lives with her husbands or whatever. And I I bet you this is why, because Gwyneth is totally that kind of person that like needs to maintain that like je ne sais quoi, you know, like she has for sure never farted in front of Brad Falchuk or Chris Martin. Like you cannot if you think otherwise, like let's debate it in the DMs because there's just absolutely no chance in hell that she has. But anyway, it's like you don't have that mystery happening still. You know this person totally in and out. Are you having a hard time meeting great people to date? 
Why do you keep trying the same methods over and over if you know you're set up to fail? It's time to say goodbye to swiping and bring back the human touch to dating with Talkify. Talkify is the country's number one modern matchmaking service that is designed to help you achieve relationship success. Their trusted compatibility specialists hand select successful and compelling candidates so you can date consciously and productively. Here's how it works. The Talkify matchmakers meet with you to learn about what you're looking for in a partner. Then they select and screen potential match candidates for you, doing background checks, video interviews, and asking the tough questions that are too awkward for first dates. From there, your matchmaker plans your date introductions and handles all communications for you, creating a safe and stress-free dating experience. Talkify is committed to finding your match. 80% of clients meet their person within the first 12 matches. And right now, Talkify is offering our listeners 20% off when you become a client at talkify.com slash Acme. That's T-A-W-K-I-F-Y.com slash Acme for 20% off when you become a client. That's talkify.com slash Acme. You guys are always asking me if I do matchmaking still. I'm going to defer to Talkify on this one. They obviously know what they're doing and they have it down to a science. So if you want 20% off and you want to become a client, go to talkify.com slash Acme. And remember to spell it T-A-W-K-I-F-Y.com slash Acme. Hey everyone, it's Kelsey Kreppel, full-time YouTuber, part-time preschool teacher, and now the host of the podcast Circle Time. Join me every week as me and my guests mix the childlike wonder and conversational openness and acceptance of preschool that we're all nostalgic for with the realism, honesty, and wisdom baked into adulthood. With classroom-structured roots, we'll rehash standout moments of day-to-day life, dive into buzzy pop culture moments, and really just get to know each other on a deeper level. Make sure to follow me on Instagram at Kelsey Kreppel and follow the show wherever you get your podcasts. Time. <laughs> but the good part, like this is not all bad. The good part is that when you do have sex with your partner who you live with, in my experience at least, and by the way, I'm not here saying that we don't have sex. I'm just saying the volume of sex that we were having before we moved in together and the volume of sex we were having after we moved in together was less. Were there some weeks where it was still every day? For sure. But were there some weeks when it was like three times? Definitely. Or maybe less sometimes, depending for sure. So it's just different. And if you're listening and you're like me and my partner, we have sex so much more now that we live together. What I would like to say to you is do either of you work? And what I would also like to say to you is you're in your first year of living together, which is great. And I'm happy for you, but I'm curious what will happen in a few years. And if nothing changes, then that's also amazing, you know, phenomenal. But that's not always the case, especially because a relationship has so many different layers and sex being the most important one or like the, the, number one thing that ties your relationship together. I don't know that I would want that. Like I personally need an emotional, like not an emotional connection. Forget that actually. I I love that, but I actually need like an intellectual stimulation and like for my partner to leave me alone for like the majority for me to be, that's like the connection I want. I want to be on the couch with my partner being able to like look over and like give him a kiss when I want, but not being like interrogated. I remember I dated someone in the past whose love language was quality time and they were so hardo about it. Like I couldn't be on my phone when we were having this quality time. I had to like look in their eyes and talk to them and it was fucking boring to me. Like, I'm sorry. And With Steven, I feel like we are so good at having quality time together, but not necessarily having to talk the entire time. And then when we do want to talk, we do talk and it's deep and it's fulfilling and blah, blah, blah. Anyway, I went off on a tangent. But when you do have sex, when you live together, I believe it to be more exciting sex because you are like, like you are down to do it all. You're down to try whatever. Like not really, you know, I'm still not doing anal or like eating his ass. But like you're down to 
really please them because it's like you're not doing the same thing every day. You're, you know this is like a special moment that you guys have that you're making love and having sex and whatever, right? Like, so you want it to be more exciting for both of you because you want to do it more. So you're like, oh, I'm going to make this more exciting so that we both remember how great it is and like want to do it more, right? And yeah, I feel like you're willing to try more also. And now let's talk a little bit about marriage sex. I can't speak to sex when you have kids, but I am curious about that. And we'll have I'll have to have someone come on and talk about that on this podcast. Maybe Cameron from Freckled Foodie because she's sweet and she has and she's great and she's on Dear Media and she has a baby. And I think she did an episode on it. So check that out if you haven't. But maybe I'll have her come on and talk about it. Or maybe I'll wait till in the future when I'm in that situation. But anyway, sex with marriage. This stigma that's like once you get married, you stop having sex. No, you don't. Again, there is no difference really other than like the fact that you got married and you have a ring and blah, blah, blah between like moving in together and getting married. Like obviously there are differences like you can challenge me on, for example, you know, you get on their health insurance. I I don't mean there is actually no difference, but I mean in terms of your sex life, it doesn't change that much. But I feel like, and I talked about this on a podcast recently, I feel like once you get married, it's like someone is alerted in the heavens that you are now married and they throw some shit at you. I had always heard the first year of marriage is the hardest. And I was like, that's not true. It's fucking easy as shit. Like we don't have kids. What's the worst that could happen? And I'm not going to lie. Shit was thrown at us for sure. For sure. And I was like, oh my God, this is a lot. And so I feel like someone above like just starts to throw stuff at you. And when you're married, you have to react more like a team. You have to make sure the other person is on the same page with their reaction to whatever is being thrown at the two of you. So I think that lack of sex or like less sex when you're married is more so because of like the things that you're dealing with on a day to day than the fact that you live together because that's already happened, right? You move in together, you get married, that hasn't changed. You're already understanding of that stuff. It's more like more shit happens. I also feel like when you get married, you're now like, okay, I'm married. I don't have to think about that part of my life, really. I mean, of course I do. I have to make sure my partner's happy and the marriage is good and we're, you know, all good. But if it is, then you don't really have to worry about it that much, right? You worry about yourself. You worry about keeping in good physical condition. You worry about having a great career that you hope is on the rise. And you're not always thinking about sex in the same way that you used to. Again, like I'm assuming that you I'm talking to someone who got married 30 plus. You just you move on a little bit to more important things. Not that sex isn't important. Of course it is. But you're like, okay, married, check. Let me become really successful in my career. Let me, you know, dabble in this side project as well, whatever it is. And so when you come home you're tired. You're tired. It's like you get married and you automatically become tired. And I don't know what it's like to have kids. So I'm sure that's an entire new level of being tired. But sometimes you just don't want to. And it's more mutual, right? I think that if you're listening to this and you're like, well, I'm never too tired. It's always like them who's too tired. Then I feel like that's like, okay, let's, let's have a conversation with this person. But I feel like for Steven and I, at least we usually have like a mutual tiredness. And I think that my sex drive is higher than his. I don't think that his isn't high. I just think that mine is like, and I talked about this recently on on an episode of We Met at Acme, I I said, you know, I think that has to do with the fact that I seek validation from wanting 
Like I want him to want to have sex with me because that's validating to me. So I'm like, you know, always down. But I think that's more of like a validation thing than like me actually wanting to do it. But then once I do it, I'm always happy, you know? Anyway, I used to hear from my like mom's friends and whoever that like if your partner wants to have sex like you in an ideal situation like would want to do it too because like and I mean like you know same reverse right like if a girl if a woman want partner wants to have sex and like it's you know ideal for a man to also like basically just ideally we're not rejecting our partners because it's not like it's it's not about anything but like having that close physical connection. I don't know. It's really hard for me to say this in a way that makes sense because last time I did, I got like crazy reviews being like, she says that you have to have sex with your partner whenever they want to have sex. And I'm like, you know what? (sighs) There's no way to say that. But anyway, you know where I'm going with that. Obviously, the exception is like if your partner is, a horrible person or whatever. I, I that that's going nowhere. Anyway, there are reasons that we don't have as much sex when we're married and some of that has nothing to do with the fact that we are now married with a ring on our finger. It's not the marriage that makes it less sexy and it's not that it's less sexy. It's just that we are now focusing on other shit and we're tired. And we have a lot going on and we've been fighting battles because again, the heavens above knows when you're married and they throw the battles at you for whatever reason. But I do think if you are married and listening to this and you're like, I haven't had sex in a while or we only have sex once a week, I would love for it to be a little bit more. I think that sex happens more when you sit around and do nothing. I know that sounds counterintuitive, but me, for example, for my relationship, I'm always like social calendaring our lives. Like there is always something going on that night when there isn't something going on that night. It's not perfect. Sometimes we'll just like binge a show, but especially on the weekends when there's nothing going on, it's like the perfect time to have sex. And so creating that energy around sex where you're not trying to fit it in before dinner or, you know, you just went to dinner and you're trying to have sex but you're too full and you're tired and whatever, where you're just kind of, you have the time to do the thing. Then the thing happens. Like that's, it's just like nature. Nature will take its course. And also you're more relaxed that way. And relaxed sex is so much better than like stressed out sex. Okay. Another thing that I wanted to talk about, and then I want to end on something for the single listeners, because I have something as well, something a little for everyone is the notion of people who are competitive on reaching milestones like marriage, pregnancy, houses, career milestones as well. These milestones, right? And it makes me really sad that anyone would be competitive about this. I'm not going to lie. I am competitive in sports. Sometimes, you know, I used to play tennis. I used to play volleyball. I was pretty fucking competitive when it comes to these things. I truly am in no way competitive. And it's funny because when I was engaged to Steven and all of our friends were getting married I ended up getting this date for our wedding that was like before a few of our friends who were also getting married. And my biggest fear was that my friends would think that that was like intentional because I wanted to get married before them. And that couldn't have been less of my vibe. And my friends know this about me. Like I just, I don't, I don't care. I think actually that's not true. I can be competitive when it comes to like looking to what other dating podcasts are doing. And I'm like, oh, I should be doing that. You know, in that way I am competitive. 
But with friends and those milestones, I'm not. And, you know, we only took that specific wedding date because it was the only thing available for two years. But anyway, I just, I have never felt that way. And I feel very lucky about it because I do have a lot of negative, you know, what's the word? Ah, character defects. I do have a lot of those. I'm not going to lie to you. But being competitive is not one of them. And I have a lot of friends who have recently expressed to me that they feel like other people in their lives have been competitive with them. So like, for example, I have a lot of friends now who are married, but are not having children yet. And there is a girl that like is in the peripheral group who asks around constantly to see if so-and-so is pregnant yet, if so, so, if blah, blah, blah. Like if this person is pregnant, if this person who got married a month before her, if this person who got married a month after her. And I got wind of this and I was like, that's so silly. First of all, especially with pregnancy of all things, to be competitive about something that a lot of the time people have zero control over. I mean, yeah, you can have sex when you're ovulating, but that's still, I think it's like a 60% chance you'll get pregnant, which is like, I guess high, but there's also a 40% chance that you won't. And so to be competitive on something that is such a journey for women, it's like, it's crazy to me. It's, it's wild. And so I, it makes me sad that people are competitive because there is zero, like, guarantee of a happiness associated with any of these things. Right. So like you could get pregnant, God forbid, you have no idea what's going to happen. You know, you could end up becoming a parent and it could be something that you regret. It could be something that you don't love. You could end up, God forbid, like having miscarriage. You could, you know, you could have a great pregnancy, but then you have to move and you can't find a house. Like everyone is going to struggle. Everyone is going to have a struggle in their lives at some point. And so the best thing that you can do, and I've spoken to Tinks about this multiple times. We have multiple times and we have the same mindset on it. We did an episode if you haven't listened to that. The best thing that you can do about this is be so genuinely happy for your friend's milestones. It goes back to like scarcity mindset versus abundance mindset. If your friend gets pregnant, holy shit, that is amazing. That means that you can get pregnant, right? Is it going to be the exact same journey? Maybe your friend got married, got pregnant on their wedding night. Is that going to be your journey? Not necessarily, right? But are you going to figure it out? Yes. Is there a possibility that you may never get pregnant? Maybe. But if you really want something, you'll be able to get it for the most part. And then there's like the notion of your friend bought a house and, and whatever. And we see this a lot with our friends, especially in New York city who are like moving to the suburbs and it's like, Oh, they bought a house. Like that must be so nice. Like they're, I'm so jealous that like their parents could help them. Like we're not there yet. And you know, this and that it's like, okay, like, do you want to be there? Sometimes when I hear a friend comparing themselves to another friend of mine or an influencer or, you know, anyone I'm like, but do you actually want that thing? And do you want it now? Or are you just like kind of salty that someone else has a thing that like you might want at some point, but not even are sure that you want, you know? And I think the marriage thing too, you know, taking houses out of this and just talking about marriage and pregnancy, I feel like this happens because of society. Like if you are someone who, or maybe like you just have a competitive nature about you. But if you don't, and you're like, I don't know where this feeling of competition came from. It's society. It's society being like, Oh, did you hear that Jessica's pregnant or, Oh, like, you know, it's like, especially if you're Jewish, like I am the Jewish mom brigade is always talking about who's reaching the next milestone, right? Like, Oh my God. Like, you know, it's like in the family group chat, like, did you hear like Debbie and Jason got a house? Like how nice is that? You know, it's like, that's kind of what perpetuates this. And you're like, should we be feeling like we should be there? You know? And it's, 
it's really annoying. And and the same thing with, with the pregnancy stuff. It's like, let's take Emrata, for example. She got pregnant. She had a baby. Well, uh, her situation is, of course, different because her husband ended up being a cheating loser. But she got pregnant. She had a baby. She like immediately looked like she did before the baby. And so many women were so distraught by this. They were like, it's not fair that she looks like this after having a baby. It's not this. It's not that. And that kind of goes back to like competition. Like why? First of all, why are you comparing yourself to Emrata? It's Emrata. I don't think anyone really can. But second of all, okay. So her body went back. I hate the word bounce back. So I went back, you know, it went back to the way that it was before. So will yours at its own pace. Like we could all eat the same things and we still wouldn't look the same. It's just the way that life is. So I think that if you are feeling competitive about it, it's just an added stressor that doesn't need to be there. There's never going to be, you know, people are never going to be happy with where they are. It's really hard. You can try therapy and all the things, but if you have that like need to have what other people have, like you're never going to be happy. So I don't know, I guess work on it in therapy, but mainly just count your blessings because you have so many of them. We all do. If you are listening to this podcast right now, you're alive and you can hear. And like, those are two blessings right there. You just, you lose support of all the things that you have when you are doing the competition game. And especially when we compare ourselves to celebrities because celebrities do not have great lives. I look, and we're, we did an episode on this recently with Shannon from fluently forward, like celebrity relationships mostly fail. So next time you compare yourself to a celebrity, actually instead be grateful that you are somebody who lives a beautiful and full private soul nourishing private life. Okay. Lastly, what I want to talk about is for my single people, Marshall, who is the producer of this podcast and such a dear doll of a human, Marshall brought this up, brought this to my attention and I love it so much. He said that the recent dating philosophy he's subscribed to has been about detaching from the outcome. So basically what this means is putting less emphasis on finding a perfect match and more on just seeing if the person and you get along. It puts less pressure on the entire situation and reframes dating as a trial, never a failure, which is really what it should be, right? Like imagine if we all looked at that when we were dating at just the, am I feeling a connection vibe with this person? Not, is this person going to be good enough for me down the line for marriage? Is this person someone I can seriously date? No, just am I getting along with this person? How do they make me feel? How does my body react when I'm around them? Do I feel good when our interactions are over, right? And he said, someone on TikTok said, if you knew you were exactly 45 no's away from what you want, you'd be out there chasing those no's, which I love, right? Like if we knew what the future held for us, we would go out and we would do anything to get to that future, but we don't. So all you can do is detach from the outcome and let things be. I really think that that's the best way to date. Again, easier said than done. You're probably like, yeah, bitch. Well, you try that. But I really do think that if I, when I was single, if I had heard about detaching from the outcome and just kind of seeing my energy with someone, it would have been like the slap on the head that I really needed. When I turned 25, I was so gung ho about like, it's time to find my husband. And I won't even entertain someone who's not my husband. Like, how could you just go out to this party and just hook up with anyone? Like you need to be looking for a husband. And I, that was so stupid. And I wasted so many of my amazing years in my twenties doing that. 
So really just try to detach from the outcome. Okay, we're going to round out this solo episode with a new thing, which is kind of like an advice question answer thing. I had you guys write in questions about your relationship to my email. And so I'm going to read your question and tell you my answer, kind of like a live AMA without the live part. Okay. This person says, met a great guy. We dated for three months, connected on the fact that we both had been engaged previously and have been through some crazy shit as a result. We both had made the decision to end our relationships, like the engagements. His ended a year and a half ago and me three years ago. He recently decided he wasn't ready for a healthy long-term relationship because he still thinks about his ex a lot, not wanting to get back with her, just periods of sadness. We left it on good terms and said maybe one day. Either way, going to try and move on. But do you believe in right person, wrong time? Can it work eventually? How, when to check in? Or was I just not the one to help him move on? Everything felt perfect except for timing. So I don't think in, I don't believe in right person, wrong time. I don't think that he's lying about still thinking about his ex a lot. But I think that if you were the person for him in the way that you feel like he's the person for you, he wouldn't be thinking about his ex anymore. Like you would have distracted him at least enough to like overpower the feelings that he had about this person. I'm not saying never, like I'm never say never. It doesn't mean that he's not going to come back, but I feel like you have to act as if he's not going to come back. And, you know, if like, it's like, if you love something, let them go. That's the situation I think you have to do here and just chalk it up to wrong person, wrong time. Okay. This person said, I recently started dating someone I knew from high school, two years older. So we weren't in the same circle and not really friends, but he was my high school crush. And it's funny and weird to be dating now. He reached out on Insta and we started catching up and then made plans to see each other. We're we're both from the East Coast, but he lives in Wyoming and I live in California and long distance is tough. I get super in my head about being long distance and whether or not I'm wasting time with this. I'm 29. He's 32. I know if things work out, I'll have to move there, which I think I'm okay with down the road. But just wondering if you have any perspective slash advice slash other stories for starting a long distance relationship. I love this. My manager and good friend actually met her now husband and father of her children at Coachella one year. He was living in LA and she was living in New York, which I think is a lot further than your distance with this person. And they made it work. They visited each other until eventually she ended up moving to LA where they're now so happily married with babies. So that is just to say that this sounds like one of those things that will definitely work out. Obviously a long distance relationship sucks. It's hard, but it sounds like he's thinks that you're the one. And I just love your story of you having gone to high school together, him being older and your crush. I just, the vibes and the feelings that I get, like the psychic thoughts and whatever. I just think this is going to work out. So stick with it and please keep us posted. Okay. This one says, I DM'd you this past summer when I was unsure about a relationship and you gave me such good advice. I ended up breaking up with my significant other. It was really mutual. My question is how to deal with the other person moving on, but you haven't. My ex now has this whole group of new friends and is seeing other people. And I just feel stuck, even though I technically wanted this. Any advice is appreciated. Thanks. So this is an interesting thing because I feel like I see this a lot and I feel like we should do even like a whole episode on it. But the dumper or rather, sorry, the dumpy like tends to move on before the dumper, which is funny because you'd think that if someone's breaking up with someone, it's because they're ready to move on. They have things going on, blah, blah, blah. But I see this a lot in that the person that's dumped moves on quicker. And I think it's just, and I know you said it like ended up kind of being mutual, but I see this a lot. And I think what it just means is that they had more of a reason to try to get back at the, out there right away. Whereas you were just kind of like, I just want to get out of this relationship. And they were kind of like, well, I'm hurt. So I'm going to go out and do blah, blah, blah. 
I wouldn't take it as like they've moved on faster than you. I think they maybe they're being more proactive about it. I don't know what their lifestyle is like, but maybe it's easier for them to meet people and things like that. But your path is different. And I don't think you need to have this like new friend group and you need to be like, you know, dating other people. But I do think that it's important for you to, if you're ready to, and not like out of spite, get back in the game and make some dates and, you know, put yourself out there in the same way, but keep your head down and like, stop comparing yourself to this person because they could be acting out in all of these ways. Like, their new group of friends and they're dating because they're hurting still. So you just never know the meaning behind why they're doing it. So don't compare and focus on what you can do to make yourself happy. Okay. This one is long, so bear with me, but the subject is quite enticing, which is haven't spoken in 10 years, five course meal with wine pairing on Valentine's day. She said, I have just gotten out of a toxic relationship that went on for far too long. It was constant back and forth, including sneaking around behind our friends' backs. In May of this year, I started seeing a therapist because I had sat my ex down and said, I don't want to be his secret anymore. And I wanted to try couples therapy. He bounced and left me wondering if after so much back and forth, he would ever truly commit. I went to therapy to break the cycle and it worked out very well with just a few minor slips. Slept with him when the Phillies lost the World Series. My therapist has been working with me to embrace new experiences and welcome new people into my life. I booked a trip to go to Rome for my birthday solo this year. That being said, I recently reached out to someone I knew from high school. We had a quick back and forth and we were joking about a bunch of different things. He invited me to come over and he would cook for me. He's a really talented, talented chef, always posting his masterpieces on Instagram. I had a half day at work on Valentine's Day and I have a very hard job that I work 10 hours a day most days doing. I'm in cybersecurity. He asked me when I was free to have dinner and I asked if we could do dinner on Valentine's Day, but to not make a big deal at Valentine's Day. And I explained my job and that I haven't had off since I started in May, but wanted to enjoy the half day, which just happened to be on Valentine's Day. I know I kind of set him up, but he cooked a four course meal with wine pairings and a printed out menu. The table was set with white linen tablecloth, rose petals, roses in the middle and like fancy napkins. I was stunned in a bad way, freaking out way, like what the fuck way when I walked in, but had to be cool. I actually had a nice time at dinner, but it was extremely too much for a first date. I don't know how to explain how quickly this is going without divulging too many details from my past. This also feels so fast just in general that I feel like in a matter of weeks, in a matter of a week, I have a boyfriend now. Please help. Is this a huge deal breaker? Did I set him up by letting him know Valentine's Day I had a half day and could hang? How can I be polite about this? I kind of want to keep seeing him. The sex was really good. Help. Okay. This is a classic case of I'm coming from a toxic relationship. So when someone does something nice for me, I'm freaking out and it makes me feel uncomfortable. Granted, like this was definitely too over the top for sure. But I think this is just a nice guy. And I think there's a way to get him to dial it down. Like, just be honest. You don't have to be afraid of divulging too much to your past of your past. You don't have to be like, Oh my God, I was in this toxic relationship. Just be like, I recently got out of something and I like you, but I feel like if we're burning it out too quickly, too soon, then, you know, it's going to ruin it for us. So as much as I really liked what Valentine's day was, and I don't know if that's just a one-off thing, but maybe we can take a step back now and like start from the beginning, start over, you know? And I think that he'll really appreciate the honesty and it's not like you're rejecting him and it sounds like you don't want to reject him, but you also need to acclimate to a healthy relationship where you're being treated right. And so you have to work on that with your therapist, but also I think start over with him. I think there's potential there for sure. Okay. This one says, Hi, Lindsay. Would love if you addressed a certain issue I've been having lately. The last two hinge dates I've gone on, both first dates, the guys have texted me afterward right away saying they'd like to see me again, to which I answer with something like, yeah, Def, I'm around next week if that works. And they end up never getting back to me. Why do they put the idea of wanting to see me again in my head? Do they do this for internal validation? Do they change their mind randomly? Are they just trying to be nice? I know you don't have the actual answers. So maybe a point of view from Steven would be a good idea here. It's just so annoying. 
Okay, well, Stephen's too busy working, so hopefully my answer will suffice for you. I think next time when you get a text like this, assuming that they texted you unprompted after the first date, like you didn't text thank you first, and they say they would love to see you again, instead of saying, yeah, deaf, I'm around next week if that works, I'd be like, I'd like that too. How is like Wednesday of next week or something, you know, like be more specific so that they actually have something to respond to. And it's a question. I think that if nothing ends up happening from that guys, sometimes just like want to be the good guy and they want to check the box of like, Oh, I did. I took her out on the date. I paid, I sent her this nice thing. No guilty conscious moving forward. If I don't want to go out with her again, you know what I'm saying? And then I also think it's possible that they did have a nice time, but not nice enough for them to take you out again which is sometimes obviously not something that they're going to say. So I wouldn't take this as these people not being into you as much as like it wasn't a fit forever or they didn't know or feel like they had to respond to anything when you said I'm around next week if that works. It kind of just like died like that. So try posing it as a more specific like how to had fun too. Like, should we, what do you like, what's going on next or would next Thursday work? Like, you know, just something more specific there and just see. And if not, wasn't meant for you and more is coming for you. Okay. A new scenario. I started talking to this guy mid to late December. He lives two hours away in a city where I have a lot of friends and visit often. We text FaceTime and have done several weekend visits about every other weekend since we started texting. I'm trying to follow the rules, but how does distance affect the timeline? The number of dates we have been on is lower, but we've spent so much condensed time together. So does that change anything about don't date someone for more than three months if they don't make it official? I have resisted bringing up this topic so far, but starting to get antsy. Okay, so right now as we're reading this, it's February 27th, December, January, February. I mean, I think you can give it a little bit more time also law that I had to just count to three. Don't judge me. I think you can definitely give it more time for sure. It sounds like this is heading in the direction that you want it to head in. And I don't see why he wouldn't ask you to be his girlfriend on the next visit. And what honestly, in fact, I want you to report back and let us know because it seems like it is just around the corner, like truly around the corner. So be patient. It's going to happen. I know it. Okay. This one is so cute. She says, I recently had a Hallmark level meet cute with a guy at the airport. We immediately hit it off and spent the very long flight delay hanging out together. The stars aligned and we ended up sitting next to each other on the flight. We chatted the entire time with lots of flirty banter. Again, by chance, we ended up being on the same flight and sitting next to each other on the way back. He made lots of comments about connecting in the future and we exchanged numbers at the end. The last thing he said to me before parting ways was, you'll have to text me and let me know how your book ended. I know the ball is in my court and I want to play my cards right. What do I text him? Ooh, okay. I wish I knew what book you're reading. Like give us more context, but I would probably be like, the ending wasn't, the ending was good, but it wasn't as good as that airport meet cute that I had or like something cute like that. So he knows who it is and that you bring to light the fact that you had this like adorable meet cute and it's like cheeky and not like, please text me back. Obviously keep us posted on this one. Okay. This is the last one I'm going to do. It's a little longer. And then if you wrote in a question, I'm going to get to it on the next solo before an episode. Okay. I recently spent nine hours on a flight from the UK to Asia and ended up sitting next to a guy who is 32 and just moved back to the States from living in the UK. We talked for almost the entire flight. What's with all these flight meet cutes tonight or today? We had some drinks and the conversation never died down unless we took a nap. It was so intimate that I can't even remember the person who sat on the other side of me. It was like no one else was around and it was just the two of us. He tried to help me out with a boy issue I was having and then we exchanged numbers. As soon as I got out of the airport and turned on my data, he texted me. We chatted on and off throughout the trip, texting each other at the same time. 
He went back to the States and I remained on my vacation. He said, fuck that guy who he was trying to help me with, who I was traveling with, and that he could show me a good time in NYC XO. I was so shook by this. It took me days to respond. Once I responded, we talked for the next couple of weeks and he even told me he thought we were going to make out on the flight. Lol. There was a lot of chemistry. He even asked to visit me in Philly before he went to Maryland to visit family. I wasn't sure if he was serious, but two days later, once I was settled back in the States, he gave me a date in March and we made these plans for him to visit. Around two weeks ago, he was pretty consistent with texting, which is a big thing for me. But then I'd ask him a question and he didn't respond. This has now happened twice and the consistency in texting has dwindled. Our last combo was Friday with me asking him a question in response to him asking me one. I haven't heard from him since. But since he is posting on Insta and obviously on his phone, he works in entertainment and just started a new job in the beginning of the year. So I'm trying to justify his inconsistencies with that, but I'm not sure how to approach the situation now and his visit in a few weeks. Double texting isn't an issue for me, but when he didn't respond to my answer to his question and then my follow-up question, it made me wonder if I should say something else. What would you do? This felt too good to be true in the beginning and now I'm getting fuckboy vibes. When I told him about the previous boy issues, he told me I needed to communicate with that previous boy how I felt. And now I'm wondering if I should take his advice and communicate with him. I don't know. I don't want to come off crazy. Please help. I need to know your thoughts. Okay. I would, first of all, I'm getting like weird. This guy is married vibes or like in a relationship at least, which I'm not sure is true or if it's just my like trauma speaking, but I'm getting those vibes. I'm not getting fuckboy vibes. I'm getting those vibes. If I'm wrong about that, then I would just say that like he's one of those guys that out of sight, out of mind. And when he's with you, things should start to finally like develop this next time you hang out together. I definitely would not communicate how you feel with him just yet because you don't know him enough to really feel that strongly, you know, and you don't want to be like shut down or shot down rather. I think that you should wait to see him, see how it is in person, see how he makes you feel, see if he reveals more information about his situation. And then I think if there's a way to like in a cheeky kind of funny way, be like, well, you had told me to, you know, communicate with that guy I told you about how I felt. Do you want me to do that with you? If something comes up, like, you know, something like that, maybe get the vibe of if he really actually feels that way or was just trying to like get in your pants then. I don't know. I'm a little nervous about this guy. I want to like him and I want to like this story for you. But he does seem like he has some sort of hidden agenda. So keep us posted. Thank you guys for listening to this full solo. I hope you liked the advice section at the end. We're going to try to incorporate it more, but give me your feedback because I want to know if it's something that you found interesting and also if you are enjoying solo episodes episodes in general feel free to rate and review the podcast five stars and write something that you feel from the heart i am so grateful for you and i hope everyone has a lovely day note that this episode may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products and services. Individuals on the show may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to in this episode.